1: Thanks to our sponsors. Now back to the show. (laughs) Stories, scripts, and conversations with creators. This is the Brave Maker Podcast.
2: Hola. (laughs) Okay.
3: ¿Listo, mi amor? Claro. (laughs) Hi, my name is Rebecca Mosa, and... Welcome to the third episode of the Brave Maker podcast. I also have a special guest here with me to help introduce the next podcast, my husband, Roberto. Say hi, Bert. Hi, Bert. <laughs> Bert is the nickname I have for him. Do you have any for me?
2: Yes. Your nickname
3: is Becky. Oh, gosh. I thought that maybe you would say Bex or Becca. No offense to all the Beckys out there. For some reason, I just feel like that doesn't suit me, and he knows that gets under my skin. (laughs) But you're safe. We're on air. (laughs) Anyways, uh, Tony sent us a link uh, to watch the movie I'll Push You, which will be screening in Redwood City tonight. I hope many of you could make it. Um, unfortunately we can't because like as I said we are in Spain for those of of you who don't know uh, we did live in Spain for three years before moving to California so Spain has a special place in our heart and this movie I'll push you takes place in Spain the two friends Patrick and Justin actually did the uh, let me see if I can pronounce it right Camino de Santiago did I say it right
2: Yes, very good.
3: Let me, let me hear you pronounce it. I feel like you'll have a better pronunciation. El Camino de Santiago. Okay. So his first language is Spanish, so he does a little bit better than I do, mm-hmm. but I try. Anyway, so they did the, the walk, uh, the Camino, in, in the north of Spain, and it was very interesting to watch. It's a very heartfelt uh, movie, documentary of their friendship and their love for each other. It was really just a beautiful thing to see. I think anybody who watches this movie is going to come away from it wanting to go and love the people in your
2: life a little bit more. What did you think? It is a very powerful movie. It is very impactful, very emotional at times. And it is um, amazing to see a relationship like that, the, the friendship that these two men have these two these two best friends have it's it's just incredible
3: yeah and both Patrick and Justin had to embrace vulnerability and in a time of you know you hear the word toxic masculinity so much it was very refreshing and nice to see um, these best friends that were just wanting to love each other and talk they talked about how much they loved each other they showed it and just the dedication that they had to each other was just so beautiful to watch Um, was there anything from the movie that you remember that stood out for you?
2: Well, without giving away too many details, um, there was one scene that stood out because I thought it was so very Spanish and the, uh, two friends, Justin and Patrick were moving away from the camera. The camera was stationary, probably on a tripod. And... As they were going away, this herd of sheep started (laughs) to cross the Camino in front of the camera and you could hear them, you know, making sounds and you could hear their their bells and everything. And, And I thought that is so very Spanish. We have seen it ourselves here in the south of Spain in Andalusia. Um, we have, I think, experienced it ourselves. We may have been stuck behind a herd of sheep as they were crossing some road or highway.
3: Yeah, actually, my favorite memory is just going for a walk um, around where our house, uh, like where our apartment is. There, We're kind of on the side of a, a mountain, and a lot of it is un- not developed, so there's open land. And we were just walking our dog, and kind of my dog perks up. And i was wondering, what's going on? And we looked down the hill, and there's all of these sheep, like, just kind of right beside the street where our apartment was, and that was kind of cool. We just sat there and watched them, and then they have the little old Spanish man, which is, I guess you would call him the, the shepherd, shepherd, yeah, walking along with them, and it was just like, and, you know, they're walking among olive trees and things. And I thought, oh, this is so Spanish. So, yeah, that was kind of a, it brought back a lot of memories uh, watching that in the movie. Yes. Uh, we don't want to give away too much because we hope that everybody can go and see this film. If not at the screening tonight, then uh, on find another opportunity to watch it because it really is, like Roberto said, an impactful film. One thing, that though, that I wanted to touch on that really came up to me um, was the realization that you need to sometimes let other people help you. And I know especially in... in the US and also in Canada, where I'm from, you have this idea of being independent and doing everything on your own. And if you commit to something, you know, you go ahead full charge. And a lot of times we don't ask for help or we're not let, willing to let other people help us. And I know both of uh, Patrick and Justin went through that um, on this journey. And one thing, uh, I believe it was Justin that said, it was the realization that when you don't let others help you, you can actually take joy away from them. And I never thought about it that way before because you always think about that if you're helping someone, you're getting something from it, but it also gives a lot to other people like to help you. You know, there's there's something when we are able to help others or something that ignites inside of us as well. So I thought that was very interesting. and I never think about it that way. So that was a really interesting point of the film. But like I said, I don't wanna give away too much. Was there anything else you wanted to add, Roberta?
2: No, that's everything. It was a great film. I highly recommend it. I hope you can see it tonight at the screening in Redwood City.
3: And lastly, let's just do a shout out to Tony, who can't be with us here in Spain. So he's he's back in San Francisco and he's hosting the screening tonight and we wish him all the luck with that. Stay tuned to hear his interview with one of the directors. Which will follow. And thank you again for tuning in to the third episode of our Brave Maker podcast.
1: Bye. Ciao.
2: Bye bye. Adios.
1: Adios. Hasta luego. <laughs> Brave stories change the world. You are the story.
0: Hey, Brave Makers. Thanks for tuning in. As Roberto and Rebecca just shared, they are in Spain right now, and so they did the intro before so that they could tag on to what we're doing here, which is a perfect segue because as they're in Spain, uh, we have someone in the Brave Maker offices today who directed a film and a really amazing story that took place in Spain. So I have director Terry Parrish, or is it Parrish?
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's French. <laughs> Me and Stephen Colbert.
0: <laughs> I, You know, my last name is Italian, so like you you really want to say it's Capastione but we just say Capastone right so when I was looking at your name I was like it really could be you know something different who knows mm-hmm.
4: uh, I think you have to say it with an Irish accent that <laughs> really is, okay uh, there you go yeah.
0: <clears throat> so hey Terry let's uh, jump right in this was your first film correct your first feature film
4: yeah that's right
0: huge how did it come to be
4: Wow, that's, um, well, uh, it's a good question. You know, um, you'll ask the question tonight, I'm sure, about, you know, oh, that's always the question, like, how did I meet these guys? And um, Justin and I went to school together. We went to Point Loma Nazarene in Okay San Diego. And, uh, you know, he reached out and said, haven't seen you in a while. Uh, we'd known each other through, like, graphic design circles and that sort of thing. And so we'd kept a tab on each other's career and, you know, Facebook Mm-hmm. Helped us stay connected a little bit, you know, uh, in the early 2000s. So just out of, after we've reconnected, he kind of reached out and said, you know, um, my friend and I are going to do something. And uh, would you be interested?
0: So he he knew you were in the film world in some way because you have a director. Uh...
4: A video agency. OK, cool. You do yeah. like
0: commercial stuff yeah. in San Diego, right? That's
4: right. That's okay. right. We at the time we were producing a couple hundred You know, videos a year with like a team of 15 internal people and like 45 external people just kind of hustling. Mm -hmm. And uh, when he came to me around that time, I was, you know, wanting to put the brakes on that stuff a little bit because it was like a little soul crushing. Mm -hmm. And so when he presented this idea, um, it was something where I said, I've got to do this.
0: Did you have aspirations to make a documentary before? Was it, I mean, how did that all shape up?
4: Yeah, you know, um, I didn't really remember um, that I had aspirations to do this until about halfway through the process. I remembered um, making film. Uh, using Star Wars action figures and, you know, my dad's camcorder, you know, mm-hmm. in kind of our rec room, you know, as like a eight year old. Yeah. And um, I was like, and I remember even thinking at the time, even though I only lived, you know, 45 minutes away from Los Angeles, I lived in a place near Edwards Air Force Base. It's the middle of the desert. It's the middle of nowhere. And um, I remember thinking even at the time, uh, oh gosh, that's just so far away. I, I could never do anything like that. And you know, life being what it is, it just kind of takes me in a couple different directions. I end up, um, I was supposed to be an architect up in Eugene, Oregon. And through a confluence of events, I found myself in San Diego, um, and changing my major from history, political science to art. And then I think I'm going to become an artist and then I have to do graphic design because I got to make money. And then, um, then I go into the graphic design business then the brand consulting business and then I meet my current business partner and I'm like, yeah, film, why not? I, like video production. Mm-hmm. YouTube was huge, just coming online at the time. And I thought, yeah, this is like ubiquitous. You know, it's like, you know, uh, Martin Luther and the, uh, and the printing press, but like on a grand scale of like all art forms connecting like into one art form And uh, the biggest dissemination ever on the internet. And I thought, oh, why not? Let's go there. And at the time, I really thought that my intention was more around being a business owner and trying to help my very, very talented uh, business partner and co-director of the film, Chris, achieve his vision and his goals and his, you know, see his talent come to life. I didn't really think about in terms of my own talent, Um, but through this process, you know, Discovered that it's actually a calling of mine to try to help tell these stories, mm-hmm. and um, especially ones that transform hearts mm-hmm. and uh, change minds.
0: So the Brave Maker, you know, tagline is "Brave stories change the world," mm-hmm. and we are really interested in stories that have a meaningful impact or you know has some sort of social uh, effect, affecting change in some way. And you know, your film is called "I'll Push You," and the tagline for your film is. Brilliant. I mean, it's so easy to talk about like five hundred miles, two friends, one wheelchair. I mean, that's like, like you immediately kind of lean in and to want to know no more. So mm-hmm. let's talk about. I guess so. Patrick or Justin comes to you mm-hmm. right and says, "Hey, we're going to do this thing. That's do you right. do you want to document us?" Uh, You don't just grab a camera and gear and go, right? You have to raise money. I mean, or did you? Like, how did? What did you do?
4: Well, that's funny. You know,
0: um, it's six weeks long, right?
4: Yeah. So um, they came to us in 2013, I think, and with this idea. And um, at the time, um, yeah, definitely, we had producers on staff helped us put together a whole budget, and we were like, you know, and we had try to conceive of some more unique things that were more related to what we had experience doing. At the time, we were working with um, a pet retailer. Uh, We would go to Westminster Dog Show every year. We'd take a small team, and we would create in-the-moment content all along to kind of create stories and narratives. And so we were originally trying to conceive of like that blue ocean strategy, right? Which is let's do something new. Let's do something different. And it's a way to kind of get brands on board. So we originally thought of it as kind of like a, in the moment video log where we would have like a team going along with, the, with them walking. And then we would have like a, pro, like a producing an editorial team that would kind of be in base camps nearby. And we would bring the content back. And then like within a couple of days, turn and burn, you know, mm. like a, an edit, An edit, mm-hmm. so you can kind of watch as they go. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really ambitious. It was very, you know, kind of, um, we thought it was interesting. We just couldn't get anybody to get on board. It was too much of a risk for a lot of the companies that we talked uh, with. Gotcha.
0: And the, the, uh, the anybody's uh, were the sponsors, the people who would support that or put right. the name to it, but nobody was interested.
4: Right. Well, they looked at Justin and his illness, uh-huh. and they thought... Well, what if we go down this road and something happens to them before we get there? Mm-hmm. What happens if something happens to them while, while they're there? Yeah. Um, they're just—it was just too risky, and and they also couldn't necessarily see the vision. They mm-hmm. they thought it was probably you know like who wants to see somebody else's video log you know video log, and we never thought it would be that way. But anyway, we we went down this pathway of like <clears throat> trying that configuration. And it didn't really work, and we really weren't getting any bites. Um, we tried, uh, raising money later with, um, with the idea of just doing a documentary and that didn't happen either. Mm. Um, and so what happened was in the, uh, beginning of 2014, we had these sort of like drop dead dates internally. It was like, if we don't have any money by this date, we're not going to do it. If we're not going to have any, you know, and I kept pushing that date back, <laughs> pushing that date back. And, um, I had a situation with a client where, um, Yeah, I got thrown under the bus in a very unceremonious way. And I always put my heart into everything that I do. And, you know, it was one of those moments where it's like, why am I putting all of my soul into this soulless work and also not getting really appreciated for it? Mm. And I was at that moment where I kind of did some soul searching. I had a dream and I went back to my business partner and I said, you know, is, so this is, like, I'm contemplating this from, like, January to March.
0: Of 2014. Of
4: 2014. Uh-huh. And so we're kind of approaching. So we've passed all of the deadlines. Um, it doesn't look like we're going to go. We've told Justin and Patrick we're not going to do it.
0: Were they kind of waiting on you pushing back then? They yeah. had a set date. They, they were, had a set date. They we They, were doing they are it.
4: like, we launch. Gotcha. Uh, we start heading there the last week of May. Gotcha. We're leaving J- June 2nd. Uh-huh. You in, you out, you know, so we, they, we, they knew that for quite some time. Okay. And so, uh, March passes, you know, we're in the middle of April and I just, I tell my business partner, I say, Chris, I don't care if it's just me and the iPhone, but I gotta go. Mm -hmm. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I'm going. And he's like, uh okay, uh, how much money do we have? (laughs) You know, can we deal with you being gone this long? And I said, well, we really don't have a choice. I'm doing it (laughs) one way or another. So, um, so he kind of goes and sits on it for a night or two. He comes back with a, with a dream, which is kind of funny. He had a, an image of me emptying my pockets in the middle of our offices and all the cash that I have and putting it in a pile, you know, kind of in a frantic way. And and he's just um, looking on and and finally makes this decision within the context of his dream. Look, uh, he had like have, a literal dream at yeah, night? Yeah, literal dream oh. at night, yeah.
0: You guys both had dreams. Very <laughs> yeah, interesting. Well,
4: it's kind of how we are. We talk about our dreams a lot. We talk about... Um, we talk about... I mean, we connected on a heart level when we first met. You know, we're we've, we're sentimental about the same sorts of things. We cry at the same things. Mm-hmm. We laugh at the same things. Mm-hmm. So, I, uh, you know, it sound, stood to reason that he could see, even within the context of the dream, that this wasn't something he was going to make me do alone. And so he's like, well, let's figure out something. We only have a couple of weeks now because I waited so long. Mm-hmm. And I so I call up Justin and Patrick and I say... Well, at least I'm coming. And let me f- see if I can find some, some people that I'd had on hold back earlier in the year, you know, because that's quite the commitment. I need somebody to kind of come for, you know, I need a team to come for, <clears throat> you know, be- over a month, like a month and a half when you count all the travel and the acclimation days on the front end and the tail end. So um, all of my, my resources are tapped. They've already committed to other projects. And so <clears throat> Patrick uh, says uh, that a woman that he worked with, her son, had just come off of some Patagonia slash, I can't remember, it was Patagonia or. Um,
0: the brand Col-
4: Columbia. It was one of those outdoor uh-huh. sort of ski brands. Okay, and so he was really known for doing like a lot of hiking and filming, and that's perfect. Of yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it was it was just kind of one of those things where I was like, his name was Mike McLeod. So you know, I contacted him.
0: Is he a DP now? <clears throat> he, is a,
4: he, a D, he is. He was a. He's a DP. Okay, and um he, um, uh, it was, it, it, that's kind of a funny story and of itself because I, I, when I got on the phone with him on, the, on Skype, you know, I, I kind of explained the situation and, um, which was, you're going with me. We can only carry, take what we can carry. And, um, and that's it. And I said, you know, and I'm going to be filming a little bit, but you know, it's not really my strong suit. That's usually my business partner and that sort of thing. And, um, on our way, we met in, Boise, Idaho, to meet the guys and follow them there. And um, <laughs> on the way there, he starts to kind of say, Well, where is the rest of the crew? And I said, Well, <laughs> I told you it's just us. And he's like, So it's literally just us? And I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, uh, And you don't shoot? And I'm like, Yeah, I don't shoot. And he goes, well, and he said, I, I told you this. And he said, well, I, I didn't think you were serious. I thought you were doing, like, the false the modesty. Humble. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. Humble, the <laughs> humble thing. So <laughs> but by the time we land in uh, St. Jean, because we go to Paris, we have, like, this long layer where we have to take a train to um, Bayonne, which is kind of on the coast. But it's still another hour and a half away from Saint-Jean. We land there for a couple days. But by the time we get into Saint-Jean, we have uh, a trilingual PA with a car who, there's a friend of his, comes from France. He's kind of a a ski guy, like a stunt skier. And he had the time. It was the summer, you know?
0: He was sending uh, help flags, like SOS (laughs) flags, like, I need help.
4: (laughs) So then we end up getting another guy. Wow. um, from uh, from Seattle at the time he was in Seattle, Jasper Newton. So um, so there's wow. four of us kind of show up and and we leave the next day.
0: Is he just emailing people on the flight over as he realizes it's just you guys? Is that how it works?
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was considerable stress because wow. you know he see. I, I we've always done really great work at Emoto. We 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 take pride in what we do. This was one of those things where it was. Um, you know, I just didn't have the resources having waited so long. You know, if I if I had to do it over again, I would have said, Yes, we're committing to do this and then I'll just start putting that team together right away. But at the time, you know, I had made an agreement with my business partner that we weren't gonna do it, so I kind of mm. let that stuff go sure. for a while, but something in my heart just said I have to do this.
0: So, in some way, I mean, this v- very unconventional. Can I make the very. assumption? Like, did you, you didn't have a business plan? You weren't doing a Kickstarter. You weren't doing investor meetings. it's just like you pulled it together. We you, did
4: do investor meetings. Did you? We, we couldn't get. We couldn't get anything. We couldn't get anything based on what we were describing, okay. and and it was also a matter of connections and sure. that sort of thing. Because we had lived so frequently in the short video world, you know, we were producing things from. 15 seconds 30 mm-hmm. seconds 60 seconds we produce the longest stuff we were producing at the time was like seven minutes like the longest we ever produced so it's like how do you convince yeah. somebody even though you've you've done hundreds of these even though you're managing a team of basically 60 people over the course of a year to create all these videos we just couldn't like uh all of our connections didn't have didn't see the vision sure. of this piece and so we we yeah it's very unconventional but almost miraculous the way yeah. it kind of came together.
0: Which is so great because in this you know space that we that we're talking about making and being a brave maker so many of those stories of us producing our work, our passions usually come from a place of going nobody was jumping on board. People couldn't see the vision. So we had to take it into our own hands. So did you basically, would you say you self finance this? Were people working for free? Did you just kind of like, okay, we're going to just risk it all and trust on the back end we can sell it and self-distribute it? How did that go?
4: Yeah. um, (laughs) uh, You know, I think that we had worked in tandem with Justin and Patrick specifically Justin. You know, Justin and I both have, like, marketing backgrounds. So he was busy trying to r- kind of raise money for their trip, and if there was anything left over, they were going to send our way. That didn't really happen. Okay. You know, we uh, were kind of going to kind of our network, but, you know, we tried – you know, we we're were we in San Diego, so we have, like, biotech and high tech. And, you know, there were lots of opportunities just to kind of create those kind of uh, crossovers, but we hadn't ever – thought about, you know, grants or anything like that. We had never really gone into that direction. By the time we started thinking about it, it was too late. Too late. Hmm. So um, we, it, it, yeah, I mean, it, it, we didn't know what we were going to get when I said I'm going to go. Um, I just figured that the path will show itself mm-hmm. and um, to trust the process. That's awesome. And so in, in that way, I, I, I all I knew at the time was – there was nothing else I could do but this, and I didn't know who was gonna jump. I mean, I just it was like falling, falling into a, um, you know, that moment, and you know, uh, what was it, uh, Indiana Jones mm-hmm. you stepping out, stepping out, yeah. Stepping out. yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like I, there is clearly nothing here. I don't know yeah. where it's gonna go. Yeah, but I'm gonna step, and just because um, my heart was just telling me I had to do it, so.
0: So I'll ask one more kind of mechanics of the filmmaking process before we talk maybe some spoilers yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, about, the, uh, about the film. But, sure. okay, so you have to do the grueling 500-mile 500 500 hike miles, with, yeah. them, with them, which is pretty amazing. So you're carrying the gear and directing and catching all the shots and doing all that kind of stuff and sort of seeing the story come together. Then you get back... To the states, and then I assume you start cutting the film, then editing the film, then and then figuring out the process. So now, like, because the film is on uh, iTunes and Amazon, right? So you are self distributing. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about that process before we talk about the story a little bit?
4: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so f- starting with production, you know, there were just four of us on the team, so it just wasn't, it, it, it was hard work. I mean, and I gotta say, it was. My hats off to you know Jasper and Robin and and Mike. They did a really great job. They they really you know uh, hung with it. Um Those that first week was really intense. Um So you're talking? Did you have two cameras, sound recorder, two two cameras? Uh, we did on camera mics. Okay. We did do some lobbing a little bit later on as they got familiar with the equipment because we came with camera packages. Um, Mike also had, you know, some toys up his sleeve. He kind of brought a Ronin and, um, yeah, I mean, besides that, we just kind of had like a handful of lenses and, um, and you can kind of see that the, it kind of, the, the production quality gets a little better as time goes through that. Mm -hmm. It's just them being familiar with their own packages. But at the time, you know, the Panasonic, it was a 4k camera allows us to recompose, um, you know. The uh, we kind of dialed in the 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 um, the, the color grade basically uh, on it um, got better. But, uh, you know, we we did that and, you know, we did whatever we could to try to give them a break. You know, they kind of went off a couple days. Um, days. We did walk with them. So that first day was them kind of running up and down the hill kind of so they did probably almost twice the distance that the guys did if you really think about how frequently they were running ahead and then falling behind and then running ahead and falling behind so So you see
0: these two best friends going through that but when you actually take yourself out of the story for a second and realize there's four people surrounding them and capturing every single moment i start to feel like the sweat and like the heaviness of all the things you guys are carrying and like that's wild super impressive
4: well hats off to them i gotta say i I, you know because i was just walking along you know i'm kind of i start taking on more of a the producer director sure. role and uh you know but basically i only pick up the camera when they are like too tired yeah you know um which happens then the next morning so when all of that goes down you can kind of see because it's shoddier uh, camera <laughs> work you can see that it's me but um but yeah we um so we kinda go through that process and obviously when we kinda get to the Meseta, the kind of a, a flatter area gets a little easier. The cars, uh, once the guys also on occasion decide to take roads, it kind of becomes a little bit easier. But um yeah, so we we get through that in thirty-five days. Okay. And that's um, ju-
0: that's summer twenty fourteen. Yeah, so okay. we
4: leave, I think on the Second of June, maybe the third. I can't remember exactly, but we get into Santiago July seventh or so. Okay. So we um, so when we get back, uh, the first things that happen are just like press is killing it. So, you know, while they were on the road, you know, the what the thing about the Camino is that. Um, it's, it's such an interesting image when you kind of look at a map and you see it expanding across, uh, extending across Spain, you think of all of the planes and the trains that like move people really quickly to this starting point. And then they march along like ants, you know, along this pathway. And what happens is there's a community that develops and there are people that you're mm-hmm. going to see multiple times. They'll pass you, you pass yeah. them. Um, And word starts to spread of, like, what's going on and
0: who's doing what. There's a camera crew going on here. Exactly.
4: And so, you know, by the time we're in Santiago, uh, we did do – we did try a Kickstarter, actually, now that I'm remembering. We did try a Kickstarter. It didn't go so well. But when we created this video, uh, we found a group at the time that no longer exists, but they were basically a reseller of – heartfelt stories you know and they they would like have content creators send them content then they would try to repurpose the content in sales packages back to daily coasts or to uh huffington post or to any of these other groups that are kind of looking for that feel good content yeah so one of these guys picks picks it up while we're there Picks hmm. up the video that we submitted.
0: So you made a video on the way?
4: No. We made a video before we left.
0: Oh, I see. Okay.
4: And we tried to do a Kickstarter. Gotcha. It it, it failed. Okay. The Kickstarter failed.
0: Uh-huh.
4: The first one did. Huh. <laughs> but we sent off this video to this group okay. that was kind of, I think it's called Newsivity, but it's not really around anymore. But they, um, or there was a group that was part of them, but with basically they resell like package stories to people. So... The Huffington Post, a couple other groups, pick up our story
0: while you're on the hike. Interesting. So it kind of resurrected itself in a unique way you didn't anticipate. Right. You think it fails, but then it kind of has new life.
4: So you know, Der Spiegel uh, hears about us. So there's like a German, famous German magazine, kind of does a story on them. We get a couple of stories from, like, local publications along the way. Uh, even in Santiago, the press kind of meets us there. So it's it's kind of building, right? Uh, we had done a partnership with Camino Ways, which had helped Justin and Patrick find, like, places along the way that could accommodate mm-hmm. his, um, his needs, uh, Justin's needs. And then, um, you know, by the time we're back stateside, now that it's been in the Huffington Post and that sort of thing... You know, we get contacted by NBC. They want to put us on the Meredith put the guys on the Meredith Vieira yeah. show. So there's, uh, they end up go doing a TEDx talk. If you Google Boise. them, they have
0: there's so much publicity around yeah. them. I mean, it's pretty amazing. It snowballed into a really beautiful yeah. story.
4: Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of crazy. So when we first get back, the first thing we're doing is trying to put together B roll packages, um, trying to kind of say, yeah, there's going to be a film and. You know, so I didn't know how that was all going to go. You asked the question, like, did you have a No, I didn't have a <laughs> I Just came home, and this is the next thing. The did next you have an is, editor,
0: or was that someone on your team already at Amoda?
4: Somebody on my team at Amoda, okay. Noah Balcom. You know, kind of sat down with me, and I'm like, well, here's where I think like the most interesting images are. Let's yeah. go, because I'd already been like reviewing sure. the stuff along the way. Um, so we had to turn that around, like within like five or six days, had to have a B roll package, you know, sent off to New York and ready to go. And, um,
0: why now why New York?
4: Uh, cause it was, uh, that's where the Meredith theater oh, show I was, see. Yeah, was gotcha. uh, being shot at the time.
0: They needed to put it to start promoting the segment.
4: Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. So, um, and also to go along with the segment. So, um, so then the guys, you know, end up going on basically a speaking tour. They, they start getting invited places yep. and all along that way we're just connecting dots connecting dots yeah. and but the tough part about something like this and, and people that walk the camino have a similar experience you know you don't really know what it's about until like 6 months later and you're still unpacking it 3 years later mm-hmm. you know because the camino kind of has this way of of being a mirror for you there's something in the challenge of it and, and that's one of the reasons why i decided to walk as well. Like, uh, the, my, my other guys, they use their car and we're kind of going and they were conserving energy. Um, I decided I wanted to walk with them. Um, and then in some cases walk on my own so that I could try to ex- have an experiential understanding of what this process was Mm -hmm. for pilgrims Mm -hmm. to be able to talk to other pilgrims to kind of hear what the mythologies and like the narratives are that people construct, compare them to what Justin and Patrick are experiencing or what they say they're experiencing. And then comparing it to my own experience. So, um, you know, we, we get to, um, start unpacking that I think for about six months or so. And, um, then, you know, I, I tried to work with one of our editors, and it, it just it needed more concentrated attention to feeling, attention to the nuance of what was happening. And so we, we picked up uh, um, an editor um, by the name of Carolyn Corbett, who decided to kind of work with us for about three months, and she just sat down and was like, let me just put together a stringer of kind of basic story. And I kind of worked with her. I'm like, here's where I think things happen. So she went and looked in those areas and then put together like a 12-hour edit. Wow. And of course, you know, it's it, it, it's peaceful and serene and not yeah. doesn't move too quickly. But it was really a helpful process for us to kind of then kind of okay, look, at, look at what we have. Here are different scenes we have. And what is it that we see in the story? And then that begins the conversation between Chris and me about, um, what do we see here and what do we think is a value and, and how do we move forward? So Chris
0: is your co-director, business mm. partner. As mm. you guys are doing that, had you done any interviews already or was it all just capturing the story?
4: We had done um, just the story. We did a couple of interviews as part of our original video okay. for the Kickstarter just with Justin and Patrick. There were some interviews that were done along the way, yeah. obviously, mm-hmm. uh, but we hadn't gone back and done... Uh, kind of the in-depth with family friends mm-hmm. stuff um, so you know once we started kind of stringing together you know the scenes and like okay we're gonna keep these we're gonna kill these and let's see how that looks together and then see what's missing and we kind of basically do this process of whittling down and get it to like three hours you know or mm-hmm. two hours and then um, then we're like okay this is what we need then we kind of go back to Boise and we go talk to other people and get those other perspectives to kind of help round out the the piece.
0: So it's, it's also a book. So I'll push you as a mm-hmm. book. So mm-hmm. I ran into a friend of mine yesterday at the coffee shop. It's like, Hey, I'm coming to the screening. I actually read the book, you know? And wow. so how cool is that? I mean, now it's this huge like thing right. and yeah. it's living out in the world. So if you have not watched the film we're going to talk a little spoiler so you might want to pause the podcast and go you can find it where itunes
4: yeah y- you were asking too about that so you can find it at itunes you can a- amazon uh google play i guess if it's still around i don't think so i think youtube you mm-hmm. can you can get it and on vimeo so if you go to allpushu.com you can find all the links there you can also buy blu-ray dvd we have a special edition thing there too so awesome but the one thing that i don't know if you know but we did do a fathom event and that was right okay. one of the things we were in 570 theaters nationwide uh on a one night event um open the same night as thor you know
0: Crazy! How did that work out for you guys?
4: <laughs> well, it's funny. I went to went to um, our theater, and um, I saw this huge line. I'm like, "Yeah, that's the Thor people." <laughs> and then people are calling out my name <laughs> from it, and I'm like, "Oh no, that's that's our that's, that's our line! Awesome, wow, man. that's amazing! That's awesome!" So it, it was a f- it was a fun time. So that kind of kicked us off. And it was from there then we got uh, then we did the self distribution kind of follow mm-hmm. very closely after that
0: and so let me uh, ask you, is that for you financially did you guys get people to come on and become executive producers on the back end and yeah, how did that work like so people who want to um, make films this is a great learning experience
4: yeah um, we didn't we never found the uh, the right uh, executive producer partnership that was bringing in money. Okay. What we did find though was a gentleman who runs uh PR um, and Ryan Parker. So, mm-hmm. you know, Ryan and, and Corby uh, Pons came on with us and actually helped us find some distribution deals kind of beyond the fathom event. Cause mm-hmm. we had already kind of been working with Justin and Patrick cause they've been going out doing these speaking arrangements. And as they got their book deal, we started trying to time things together. So, when they were working with their publisher, Tyndale, and they were at the storytelling conference in Chicago, and they were doing these different things, they just kind of kept meeting people, and one thing led to another. And we met somebody who had worked um, with Fathom as part of one of their pieces that they had projects they had worked on, and we got introduced to them and we said, we think that this is a good way to go. So we got, we ended up getting offered a distribution deal for TVOD and which is the transactional video on demand and subscription and all that. And they would have taken it worldwide. Um, the problem was that uh, they weren't committing to any marketing dollars. Mm-hmm. They were only going to run it for about three uh, months in the uh, purchase field. And we um, r- we had done some reading and it looks like they were going to push it downstream pretty quickly based on other information we got. So we opted to do some research on our own. Chris kind of led the charge on that. And we found a way to kind of get it on these platforms, uh, for minimal dollars. And still, if we're going to have to rely on our own marketing, we can put our own marketing dollars in it and kind of get a return.
0: That's cool. That's great. I mean, so listeners, to make your stuff, you boldly have to go where, where no filmmaker has gone before and tread, you know, pioneer new new ways, new ideas. The distribution paths are changing rapidly. Everyone says that. I mean, that's every conversation, every podcast I hear is that they're changing, you know, daily. So being creative in how you do it and leveraging relationships. You mentioned Ryan Parker. That's how we connected a mutual friend. And mm-hmm. just you know people that you know that you can say, hey, do you have any ideas? Is there any other connections that you have? Do you have any way? or any thoughts for, you know, here's my project, whether it's in the beginning, middle, or end stages, and start those things because you never know where they're going to go. Right. So I think that's really cool. So and
4: uh, I think you asked the question earlier, did we self-fund ultimately? I started off by saying we try to do a little fundraising at the beginning. We ended up, when we came back and after we hit all that press, we were able to convert that into a Kickstarter, but it only got us so far maybe 10% of the way Uh of what it ultimately costs. I had no idea what we were getting into when we started this. You know, I had been working again with like five, 10 minute videos at at max. So I really didn't know what I was getting myself into, but we ended up, um, we ended up self funding. Uh, we ended up, uh, you know, just little by little, kind of pouring money into it, and you know, by and large, you know, I think we're not worse off for having done that. Mm-hmm. You know, on on a kind of apples to apples, you know, yeah. uh, financial way.
0: Oh, that's great, and. In- for story-wise, let's talk about that and the, the actual product of the film. Mm-hmm. It's a great story, something I'm sure you're very proud of. I mean, we're going to show it to a, a packed you know space tonight and have another conversation, but the story is so heartwarming. Uh, it's so real. These two guys, you know, Justin... And if you're just listening, you don't know Justin is in a wheelchair and he is losing the ability. He can't even feed himself. So Patrick feeds him and lifts him up. We see a lot of butt crack <laughs> as as Patrick continually has to lift Justin out of his chair into bed. I mean, it's so like humbling and transparent, this sacrificial friendship that they have. I, yeah. I mean, I, I got to ask you, you already had a friendship with Justin, but what did you take away? What did you learn in the story or what from the actual hike, stands out to you as one of the you know top two or three moments that you experienced with them, and you can spoil things because we already warned people.
4: Well, um, you know, I think when people think about this film and they hear the subhead that you you know put out there, the you know five hundred miles, two friends in one wheelchair. There's kind of a um, There's kind of a thought that this is going to be one of those overcoming limitations, you know, stories about somebody who's kind of suffering at the hands of 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 a disease that um, has limited his mobility. And um, and we knew pretty early on, even before we went, a couple of things. Uh, On one hand, I knew that they were going to have to rely on a lot of help Mm -hmm from people. What I didn't anticipate was the ways in which that resistance, the resistance of help would be kind of so present, um, for, for Patrick. Um, the other thing that I say more about that, what do you mean? Well, you know, we all, I mean, not we all, I'll, I'll say that for myself, When I first knew um, that I was interested in the story, I knew that I was both Patrick and Justin, Mm. you know, Um, the ways in which I'm Justin and my business at the time were, um, you know, I'm not as talented as my my business partner. He does a lot of the heavy lifting um, and I feel like he's carrying me in those in those ways Mm. and it's humbling and I have to kind of allow that to happen. And I have to be humble about it, and I have to accept it and so i already I kind of knew that I saw myself in justin i I knew that I saw myself in Patrick as well that um, that in many ways i'm strong, I have my own strengths, and I can do a lot of pushing, and I can do a lot of caregiving and I can you know um, metaphorically speaking yeah and so um what i didn't uh, what i didn't expect was the way in which Patrick dons the cape, you know, the Superman cape Mm -hmm. and is doing everything that he can to kind of, um, prove his heroicness, you Mm -hmm. know, his heroism rather. Mm -hmm. And, and having to kind of look at that closely and kind of say, oh, what ways does that exist in me? What ways am I constantly trying to be there for others, but I'm not really, um, taking the lessons from Justin and seeing how how can I let others in? How can I ask them to be there mm-hmm. for me? How can mm-hmm. I um, allow them to be there for me? And um, I think so obviously the kind of what I would call the climax of the film around Sobrero is kind of that moment where... You know Justin has, in his experience um something for for Patrick to learn in the moment <laughs> yeah and and to allow others to kind of come in and and carrying them to a place where um to heights that they couldn't have reached on their own
0: that's beautiful our um my co-host for this podcast is in Spain right now, as I said earlier, and her husband you know they watched the film and uh, they were doing the intro for us, and she was saying how the the idea that when we don't ask for help we rob somebody else right so mm-hmm. i think that's a really amazing lesson from this film yeah i got to say i one of my most memorable parts was when you were interviewing justin and he was just transparently talking about his depression and the way that he would feel you know he might be better off and it would be better off for others who are taking care of him if you were dead, mm-hmm. and that really struck me. I mean, that's so humble and vulnerable to put on camera, mm-hmm. to be able to talk about the fact that. I mean, sometimes I hate the word suicide, but I'm I'm devoting um, some time to a screenplay on that very topic because that was a part of my family dynamic. You know, I had to suffer, my family had to suffer the grief of losing my grandmother to it. So I just really appreciated Mm -hmm. that moment. And I feel like it validates the fact that it's a normal thought, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a normal feeling for someone to be able to say, gosh, life is hard. And obviously Justin is, you know, the Mm -hmm. pinnacle of that.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, it's, it's not an easy, um, it's not an easy topic Mm-hmm. And it's it's interesting because right now we're working on a on a piece that c- touches on this topic. A um,
0: new film, or yeah, okay. a new film. Cool.
4: Um, the we had a um, a PR person kind of helping us out for our first festival for this for I'll push you uh-huh. and. At that moment, he just developed a drop foot and Justin notices it and says, hey. What's a drop foot? Well, it's uh where you kind of lose control of your foot, but you can still have sensation and feeling, but you can't move it. Whoa. And so Justin's like, dude, like starts talking to him and asking him about like what's been going on for like the last six months or so. And I'm learning this just as we're walking along, mm-hmm. you know, after our premiere, our yeah. big premiere and um it turns out uh justin says you know i really think that sounds like my symptoms sounds like als um and within a couple of weeks he's def- he's diagnosed with a, a very aggressive form of wow. als and and now he's rapidly approaching his end and
0: this is he, the pr guy the
4: pr guy wow. his name is um M- michael max danielson and he um he is uh, you know looking at his end of life options, wow, you know and um, and we're looking at this and it's just it's a, it's a vulnerable place to be mm-hmm. because you know it starts asking the question what's the value of life <laughs> you know what's what's in it for me, what's in it for others mm-hmm. you know um, yeah what are what are the reasons why we should stay around? Mm-hmm. Oh, why are the, what are the reasons to get up every day what are the, you know
0: oh those moments with Justin and Patrick and his kids and mm-hmm. the reuniting with the family right. I and mean, just hearing from them right. are just gut wrenchingly beautiful right and um there's a moment too. Now you, you mentioned. I wanted to weave this together because I know the, the the school you mentioned. We, they pray or something. So there's some sort of connection between them spiritually. That's right. It's not a central part of the story, but you hear them pray at one point. And yeah. And I love that they they mock the monks, <laughs> which is like one of my favorite parts. <laughs> a little irreverence. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. But yeah, do you talk about that? What's that that journey for them? Well, or is there anything?
4: Well, I mean, I would just say that you know that they grew up in the Nazarene Church. Um, it's an evangelical uh you know faith um, they're people of faith um and um but they're not the uh they're not even though they're evangelicals they don't ev- evangel- evangelize so they're not uh, kind of hit you over the head christians mm-hmm. which you know i can i can appreciate and mm-hmm. um and we made the decision as filmmakers to not put that front and center and in fact we did We actually did get people who were interested in in supporting the film, but only if we made it into a Mm -hmm. uh, come to Jesus moment. Sure. And um, that wasn't Chris or my intent. And we told them, we told Justin Patrick from the beginning that we weren't going to do that. But we wanted to see acts of faith and not Mm -hmm. professions of faith. Mm -hmm.
0: So. That's an interesting distinction. I really appreciate that. I think, you know. Listeners know that my background was a was, I still consider myself a pastor. I wasn't I still have my ordination, but I was on the staff of a church. And yeah. uh, anytime people would hear you're a filmmaker, or I'm a filmmaker, they would make these like large sweeping assumptions about what that meant for me in my faith. And I wanted to you know, there's certain labels I just didn't want to attach myself to. I find all my work is very quote unquote spiritual right. but never does there it does it take place in a you know building with a cross on top of it or are there like you say, you know, come to Jesus moments you know that are the literal, right? But there are moments that we see. Oh, there's something beyond. There's something transcendent. The divine is very present. And I would say that very true of this mm-hmm. film too.
4: Yeah, and that's something I share with my business partner. Well, with Chris, I don't need to say business partner anymore.
0: <laughs> I think I've established. We got he's it. My business <laughs> <Big partner>.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, no, but he, he, you know, we, uh, we both have. We're both children of, of faith. We we grew up in in faith filled families and and. Um, spent a lot of time in church. He wanted to be a youth pastor, wanted to do social work. I was a Bible quiz champion. Oh my gosh. And I was a, a delegate to national You Nazareth need to make youth a movie Congress. about that. I mean, well, it's <laughs> true. It's true. Um, it would be very interesting. Um, not because of me for any reason, but gosh, I, I really learned how... Uh, I, I, people ask me about my faith. I always tell a little joke, so you'll indulge me for a second. But I always say, uh, my dad's extended family, whose adopted family, is is Mormon, but my parents baptized me Lutheran, but then sent me to a Methodist preschool, a non-denominational evangelical grade school, Southern Baptist Junior High School, an Assemblies of God youth group, a Catholic just high getting school. them all.
0: It's like a buffet, <laughs> spiritual
4: buffet. <laughs> and Nazarene <laughs> University, and I graduated an atheist. Oh, my gosh, dude. <laughs> That's classic. <laughs> because I just kind of realized, you know, that everybody had, like, their own dogma, right? Yeah. They always had their own theology. They always had their own map of, like, what salvation means or what, yep. how to get there. Who's and, in, who's out. Right. Um, and, you know, those, some of them believe that you can stay there. You can always be saved. And others believe you can kind of lose faith and yeah. lose yeah. salvation. And For sure. Um, so, you know, I, I, we, yeah, we were just interested in really like, what does it mean to live a good life? And I think for Chris, what was really important was for him to be able to walk away with something that he's made um, in collaboration with others, that he can show his children. He has four adopted children. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, he wanted to be able to point to something that says, here's a way to live your life mm. um, and not have it be so didactic mm-hmm. or have it be um, so um, prescriptive, mm-hmm. but rather um, just being a witness yeah. and an observer of 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 something worth seeing, something of value. I, you know,
0: one of my favorite quotes about filmmaking and storytelling is the best stories don't give you answers, but they ask you questions. And so this film, you know, washes over you in a way that elicits this response. Like, what kind of friend will you be? What kind of human will you be? You know, what kind of problem solver will you be? Will you be someone who is swallowed by... The challenges of life, or you will you be someone who's willing to honestly, transparently tackle them mm-hmm. with a tribe of people, with a band of, of right. friends. So I love, I love that yeah. to consider that. It's interesting because
4: you know, I mean, I love that you say that it asks questions. I remember one time we did a screening, kind of pre, you know, premiere, and uh, there was a, a man in the audience who kind of right at the end kind of screams out why did they do it you know and and then all of a sudden the whole like you know his whole group around him was started like trying to explain but everybody had a different reason about why yeah. they did it and that yeah. was one of the reasons why we didn't you know propose you know give a why you know it's it was meant to be a canvas on which you can mm-hmm. kind of project your own stuff interesting thing is you know we we had done quite a few screenings and kind of private screenings and then we did the festival screenings and i can't tell you how many times i've watched middle-aged and older men break down mm. and just cry over this film and i would always try to ask them what it, that's about and usually they can't even process it at the moment um but i have to believe that what you know what you're saying about you know, begging the question Mm -hmm. um, is alive in that because it touches on something that sometimes I'm not even sure I can completely see or even we even know because the process of putting together the final touches was such a feeling process Mm -hmm. between Chris and me. Um, It wasn't kind of logical sort of, you know, what's the craft of filmmaking and how do we, you know, really tell the story? It was largely a, you know, kind of a... Touching things blindfolded, you know, trying to feel our way through it. Like bird box. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Almost as <just> scary. <laughs> there were some moments that were quite scary. Yeah.
0: When you mentioned the middle aged men breaking down and crying, I think it speaks to some depth, I think, in humanity, but also in masculinity. There's something when we're in this kind of with this culture right now. You know, the Gillette commercial just came yeah, out, 2019 right. January, and uh, people are you know talking on all sorts of sides about why why we need this commercial, or why this commercial is bad, or blah blah. And I go, wow, this friendship elicits this idea of real masculinity. We don't need. We can be touchy feely with one another. I mean, they are so close. I mean, they kiss each other on the cheek and their nose to nose, and I mean, they're really intimate. He has to shower him, right? And go to the bathroom with him. Yeah. That is... It's ultimate intimacy. Wow. I mean, there's something to say about, like, what this is an anti-toxic masculinity story that really asks you to go, where are you? with? Are you comfortable with your own self as a man, let alone your friend who needs your help? I mean, just, wow. Yeah. So much to to delve into there.
4: Yeah, I think, you know, I think one of the things I appreciate about it, and I'm a gay man, so... I'm always kind of on the lookout for those sort of images of intimacy. You know, I, I as I came to terms with being gay myself, um, I was trying to compare audience reactions to Arnold Schwarzenegger films where everybody's laughing hysterically when he blows somebody's brains up. Mm on one hand and then the next week I go see a movie Go I don't know if you've ever heard of it but it's like by John August well it's I can't remember who did it but Jay Moore was in it and Scott Wolf uh, from Party 5 okay it was was a big it was a big kind of like party but anyway there's like this big reveal that they're a gay couple and they kiss and the audience loses it, starts booing, you know. Oh, wow. And I'm like, I was just in a theater last week where, huh? you know, expressions of violence were just laughed like there was no big deal. Mm. But th- two guys kind of showing a, a a bit of intimacy um, is this thing to be abhorred. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, well, what is that about, mm-hmm. you know, trying, you know, being religious growing up, you know, trying to deal with all that. So I was always looking out for kind of mm. like, where are these images of 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 men who can be intimate and be close and be real be authentic and not feel like they have to hide it mm-hmm. you know that they and that's what i think was one of the great great parts of of filming these guys and their story their friendship goes back so far it's so real it's so deep it's um you know it's it's a beautiful thing to behold and i think it does beg the question with middle-aged men. It's kind of like, do I have a friend like that that I do it for? Yeah, would, would someone do, I it for me? do it for me? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Totally. yeah, and I think, yeah. and then I think there's a longing for those those images, yep. Yep. and I think that it's also it's interesting to kind of hear about people because I don't know sure I'm not sure I believe that people are really responding that negatively to the Gillette ad. I mean I don't know any you know personally I don't know anybody that's kind of going, Oh you know, we want to be worse people and we want to be the freedom nobody's saying that, mm-hmm. I don't think. Not in my circles at least. Um and even the most masculine men I know. Um funnily enough, some of the most masculine men I know kind of get a little bit more t- touchy-feely <laughs> than the others, you know? Um, and and it's, to me, it's always an expression of the longing for yeah. that connection. Yeah,
0: we, we we tend to, we're attracted most times to, to the love. Where is the love? And if we admit that to ourselves, we'll find ourselves gravitating to these spaces, to these stories, to these yeah. people. It's beautiful. Well, on that note, uh, our to our listeners, I want to invite you on February 22nd, Uh, which is a Friday night. That's our next Brave Maker event, and it is an LGBTQ-focused event. So we will be having a short film called Guardian by a director named Nicholas Jara. He lives in L.A., but he is from the Bay Area. Nicholas is a Latino gay man who wrote a story based on his coming out. Um, And my good friend Matt Nightingale, who's an LGBTQ advocate, will be playing his original music. And we're actually going to do our podcast live at that event on the 22nd. So Brave Maker is all about telling brave stories, and we especially are looking for the LGBTQ community to be elevated. So I love that you were able to share that part about yourself with us. So thanks for telling this story so much, Terry. I really appreciate it. I know people are going to be touched and, uh, where can people find you and where can people find more of the story? If you can shout out anything like that.
4: Yeah. You can, uh, you can find us, uh, uh, Emota at Emota.com. That's so your business mm-hmm. uh-huh. yeah. with Chris,
0: uh, your business partner. Our,
4: yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and you can find, uh, us, you know, Emota on, on Facebook. The, E-M-O-T-A, um, E-M-O-T-A. E-M-O-T-A. Yeah. And then, uh, but really, uh, Anybody that wants to see this film, you you can get any kind of information you need about where it's screening or where it's going um, through allpushyou.com. Uh, and you can follow the guys and their journeys as they continue to take the message out to the world at, uh, I'll, uh, on Facebook as well. I'll push you.
0: And we'll put all that in the show notes. Thanks so much. Oh, sure. I yeah. do
4: want to give people an op- an option here. There yeah. is one thing that um, if you do want to buy a DVD or a Blu-ray of this, um, you can uh, use a Brave Maker uh, promo code. Ooh, we like that. So Brave Maker, uh, initial caps, B, uh And M, Uh our capital, rest is lowercase. So Brave Maker, use that code and... uh, Cool, code at checkout. Yeah, code at checkout. Okay, cool.
0: We'll put that on all our socials and uh, stuff too. That's really cool. Thanks for being generous with that. All right, man. Uh, And listeners, thanks to Terry Parrish for joining us. And if you were at the event in Redwood City on January 19th, please post pictures and hashtag BraveMaker and I'll push you and we will retweet all that stuff too. All right, be BraveMakers, everyone. Thanks for listening.
1: BraveMaker is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Our work is funded by generous patrons like you. Support the podcast with a tax-deductible donation at BraveMaker.com. Thanks for listening to the BraveMaker podcast. Subscribe, give us a rating and share with a friend. Want to be social? Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Brave Maker Inc.